the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant Holyoke. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Matt Tamanini. Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Chris Rennie. I'm here with Matt Tamanini. How are you doing today, Matt? Good. I'm doing great, man. How are you all on the West Coast? Doing good. Brian Early out here recording. Uh, been a good week so far. I've done a lot of stuff like, like I haven't been able to do in like a year or so, so it's been a lot of fun. So how have you been doing? I'm good, but we got to talk about the the jumping out of a perfectly good airplane thing. Oh, yeah. So I, I posted the video to the Twitter page. Uh, the amount of fear on my face in the video is kind of accurate in the depiction of how I felt. But like, really, I I had a lot of fun. It was a good time. Honestly, the worst part was riding up there in the plane because the plane is so small. There's like nothing you can have but anxiety because you see literally every yeah. moving part of this plane. And then you're getting higher and it's so small. You really feel the elevation when you're in like a big commercial airplane. Like you don't really feel every little bump, turn, move. It does. But when you're flying in a plane that could fit five people, it, it you feel every single bit of it. The actual jumping out of it, though. I, I mean, it's an experience. I'm deathly afraid of heights. It was a fear-conquering moment for me. Uh, but that initial jump out was still the scariest thing I've ever done, like, without question. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's a no-duh moment right there, man. Like, uh, jumping out of a perfectly good airplane is, if it when it's no longer terrifying, uh, that's when it gets scary because then you realize that your uh, your your fear level and your risk level has gone way too high to a point where you can't even be scared kno- anymore. Yeah, who knows what the hell you're going to try just to get that adrenaline rush. So, I'm glad that it was scary and I hope next time you jump out of the plane like it's going down because that's the only time you need to jump out of a plane as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. No, that's how I feel. It was a one and done thing probably for me. But it, it was it was extraordinary. I, I think my girlfriend had a lot more fun than me doing it though. <laughs> Just good for her. Good for uh, her. It, it was like once the parachute caught, or you feel safe, and then all of a sudden you're like, "God, we're up here for a while." Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, but yeah. So I mean, it, it was a good week. It was a good weekend. Uh, I enjoyed another part of California, San Diego. So I, I, it was. I was out. I was at restaurants. It was. It felt a lot different than a week ago. That's for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So. Ohio State, I mean, we're kind of into that slow news of the offseason for everybody listening to the show today. As you can see, we're trying to provide a lot of fun for you guys on the Land Grant Holy Land feed. And this this was an article that Matt wrote this week that I'm actually very interested in, uh, the betting odds, because this kind of tells you where people have real chances of winning and losing money, what everyone thinks is going to happen. So... Uh, if we want to get started, Matt, you can kind of introduce this topic if you want because you wrote the article. Sure. Yeah, so last week, betonline.ag, who loves getting their sports odds out there, they released their conference title betting odds for all of the Power 5 major conferences. Unsurprisingly, Ohio State was the odds-on favorite to win the Big Ten, and it really, really wasn't even close. I am not a super good math person. I'm not a super good betting person. Um, so if some of these are a little off, get over it. Um, uh, but the, uh, these are, I checked these as much as I possibly could. So Ohio state has two to three odds, which means 
that they essentially have a 60% chance of winning the league. So if you think about that, there's 14 teams in the Big Ten. That means they have a 10% better chance to win the conference than the other 13 teams do combined. So it's really, really unbelievable. Um, and you know, when, if you put it into like how much you can win odds, let's say you are just wanting to win a hundred dollars. You'd have to risk a hundred fifty dollars to win that $100 because it's such a good chance for Ohio State to win, your payoff isn't that great. You go down to the the next team in the Big Ten odds, that's Wisconsin. They're at 8-1. to one. So you go from 2-3 to three to 8-1. to one. That yeah. means that to if, if you, instead of trying to win $100 with the Ohio State case, you, you would have to bet $150. For Wisconsin, if you bet $100, you would make 800 if they won the conference. So that just shows you what a huge gap there is between Ohio State and the rest of the field in terms of how Vegas sees this. Behind Wisconsin, you have both uh, the team up north and Penn State um, that are coming in at 17 to 2 odds, which is just slightly worse uh, than Wisconsin. So they basically, if you bet 100 bucks on them and they win, you make 850. You know, so I, I think it really is kind of impressive to see Ohio State now having won four straight Big Ten titles, having these types of odds going into the fifth year where they can potentially win the title again. The one thing I'll throw in there as a caveat, Chris, is that I think we all kind of understand that there's a difference between like betting odds and odds to win. Betting odds are designed to get people to spend money and then lose it. Yes. So they what what odds makers want to do is get it so that there's as many people on one side as there is on the other side so they actually make money no matter what happens. And I think that might be some of the things here where they might be making the odds for the other 13 teams so attractive that that a lot of them are going to lose. So people might be like well, hey, look at that. Uh, you know, uh, who knows? Minnesota's at twenty to one. I'll take that. That's not, I'll take a flyer on that. Um, Ohio State might not actually be, you know, a sixty percent chance to win the conference, but in terms of betting odds, that makes sense because so many people um, kind of just expect Ohio State to win, and we know that that Ohio State fans are very arrogant and um, sure. always willing to put money on stuff. Uh, if they think they've got a good chance to win. Yeah, so like one thing I think it was interesting that you wrote in the article is like at this point it feels like it's pretty much free money. So Vegas still needs to like protect themselves right. with that two to three odd. And then as you go down, like if someone puts a $100 and Illinois somehow miraculously in <laughs> Brett Bilema's first year. Bert. I'm sorry. No, Bert, I'm sorry. Bert, His name is Bert. Yes, thank Bert you. Bert Bilema. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if he somehow pulls like the most miraculous turnover ever, I mean, everyone in Las Vegas is going to lose. Well, not it because no one's going to take no that one's gonna bet because <laughs> the only yeah. people there's going to be six dudes in Champaign, Illinois, who put big money down on that hundred to one. And I think the real perspective, and I think the reason this is such an interesting topic to me is like you said, the next closest competitor in the conference is at eight to one. Uh, that is a very wide discrepancy. It is, and Wisconsin 
to me, like I'm looking at eight to one and I'm seeing the discrepancy here. And it kind of comes to that point you made where you said just it's like odds to win the conference are different depending on how you look at it. There's money involved in this. It's going to be a little different. But that is still such a wide gap from the best team to then. And that's not this isn't the only conference where that's the case. So there's like a huge conversation here. And the Big Ten title odds came out. All the other ones came out from Bet Online AG as well, I believe. And there's tons of lines like this. This is how almost every single conference looks. Granted, the favorite's kind of a little different on each one. But people are talking about the Big Ten. Ohio State has an easy ride. Uh, Clemson has a cakewalk. But that's the same. Alabama's got pretty similar odds to everybody else. Yeah, it's it's really kind of odd um, when you look at these conferences that we kind of think of as being the the weaker conferences and you have one great team at the top, whether that's Ohio State in the Big Ten, even more to that point, Clemson in the ACC. Like I said, Ohio State's at two to three. Clemson is at one, one to, to eight. eight. It's absolutely absurd. To take home $100 in your betting, you'd have to wager 800 There is no sane person. Um, in my mind, who's not a diehard Clemson fan, and if you are, that doesn't I make feel you for a you. person, honestly. Yeah, that yeah, that makes you somebody that I don't want to be a friend with. Um, but you'd have to bet eight hundred bucks, which is not worth it. And then you know, then you've got uh, let's look here. Uh, Alabama's at four to five. Oklahoma's at five to seven. So basically, of the five power conferences. Four of the five have better than 50% odds when you throw in Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Alabama. The only Power Five conference that does not have a a prospective champion having better than 50% odds to win is Oregon, who Ohio State plays in week two. Um, They're at nine to four. So if you bet a hundred bucks, you'd win 225. So it's, it, it really is kind of crazy when we're talking about parody in college football where and again, these are the odds. These This isn't necessarily who is going to win, but like you've got the Power Five champions as Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Oregon, and Alabama. Like, okay, duh. That's literally what happens almost every year. So it, it's super interesting from a betting perspective. It's it's fun thing to talk about here in May, but I, I feel like it will be, again, a shocker if those teams, or at least four of those five teams, uh, didn't end up winning their conference and end up being four, you know, the four teams in the college football playoff. You know, I think you're at least get three of them from that group of of five teams because that's what we have every year, you know, and that's yeah. great for Ohio State fans. I'm not arguing. I'm not complaining. But it's just like for the most part, you're going to get Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, Oregon, uh, Ohio State as some mix, at least three of those teams in the college football playoff more years than not. For sure. And I guess for me, I I mean, as an Ohio State fan, parody in the sport is like not meaningless to me. Obviously, I like a fun Saturday of college football. Yeah. But if we could have as little parody in the Big Ten as possible, I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah, I want Ohio State to dominate as much as humanly possible. And like, I'm looking looking here and – uh, we've had a lot of articles this week about the college football playoff expansion. We have a lot of articles all around the internet about college football playoff expansion. And I'm looking at, at where the money's going, and that's what Vegas bet, Vegas betting odds sort of mean. 
it doesn't seem like adding more teams right now would change much because I still think at the end of the day, Clemson's going to win the ACC. I, I mean, if you go down the list, who's their biggest threat? North Carolina, they lost two NFL running backs. You've got a few other teams there. Hmm. Alabama, who's their biggest threat? Georgia, who we've seen, drops a game to someone they shouldn't. Can't beat Alabama. Kirby Smart cannot get past that Nick Saban. I mean, a lot of people can't, but he can't get the past Nick former Saban. Former assistant thing. Yeah, and yeah. And, uh, and Georgia has to play uh, Clemson out of conference this year. So even if they win uh, the the SEC, if they lose a game in conference on the way, but they also lose to Clemson, like depending on what else happens, having a two-loss SEC champion, while I still think in a lot of cases they still get in, but that's still something to think about. Like there's a chance – that if Georgia wins, but drops a game to Florida, say, but then also loses to Clemson, like there's a chance that they might not get in anyway. So it's it's a, a really interesting thing down in the uh, down in the SEC about who could come out of there, especially this year with kind of some interesting non conference schedules. And I think the other two points, like here, is like Oklahoma is doing to the Big Twelve what Ohio State's currently doing to the Big Ten. You've got your nearest rivals and. It's just interesting to me, and I think this is kind of lead into the next topic. Because Ohio State in the Big Ten, we've won, I mean, uh, what, four straight Big Ten championships? Yep, four straight. That is an entire college life. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's all four years of school. Someone saw Big Ten championships. Yeah. We we used to kind of measure it if a class won four straight gold pants, which they obviously have as well. But now it's like four straight gold pants and four straight Big Ten titles is like, oh, okay, that's how dominant you are. Yeah, that's the standard of excellence. And I think like the regular contenders, you know, you've got Ohio State and then you have Penn State, that team up north. They're always kind of in the mix in the Big Ten East in the preseason. We know that. On the other side, it's been Northwestern and Wisconsin kind of on a rotating basis. You know, Nebraska hasn't taken the jump. Purdue hasn't taken the jump that everyone sort of assumed with uh, that takeover with their Scott coach. Scott Frost, yeah. Scott Frost and uh, Brom over in Purdue. You know, we saw so, Minnesota kind of jump up there for one year uh, while they were flag. starting to row the boats. Yeah. And. You know, Indiana had a really awesome year last year, but I, I mean, they're still probably a couple years away from becoming a, a inaugural threat. So it's really kind of to the point where I know Ohio State has a new quarterback coming this year. We're going to have a lot of guys rotating in that haven't played a lot of meaningful snaps into the next season. And I'm kind of interested here because who who's it going to be? Is it going to be a Northwestern Wisconsin type identity not the best recruiting that Ohio State seems to out athletic every single time they play. Yeah. Like Northwestern had its best opportunity this year when Ohio State had all the COVID issues at the end of the year to knock them off. Didn't happen. Wisconsin earlier, or kind of in the middle of Ryan Day's run, was probably the closest it's been, but now they have a five star quarterback. Could that take them to that next level? Our no. nearest rivals both seem to have taken a step back, you know. Penn State with Sean Clifford at quarterback kind of feels like they're plateaued. A team up north, we don't know what they're doing. And Indiana, I don't know. They could have been everybody's darling last year and fall back to being Indiana. 
So on yeah. that, of, of everybody, who's the team you consider the threat, I guess? Because I just don't see one. No, I, I mean, honestly, I don't either. It, here's the thing. Ohio State is just better. And, you know, there's a, always the huge discussion about how much stars matter, how much um, the recruiting rankings matter. And no matter how many people want to throw out the, well, look at all these three stars who get drafted. or Look at all these three stars who... Um, who end up on all-conference teams. Yes, of course, there's more three-star guys than there are four-star guys, and there are more four-star guys than there are five-star guys. That's how this works. The thing is that the teams who consistently have the best recruiting rankings, consistently have the best NFL draft stock, those are the teams that consistently win their conferences and go to the college football playoff. Ohio State, in my mind, is not in any more danger this year because they have a new quarterback than they were necessarily last year when they had Justin Fields as quarterback. Remember, Justin Fields came in as a second-year player, having barely played quarterback at Georgia, and when they did, it was more of a running threat. He was a former five-star guy. Ohio State presumably is going to start C.J. Stroud, who was coming in as a second-year player who barely stayed, played quarterback the year before, and when he did, it was as a running threat, and he's a former five-star guy. While he was not necessarily as highly ranked as Justin Fields, there's only like 35, 32, 35 five-star guys, and CJ Stroud was one of them. So he's pretty much uh, in that same realm uh, as Justin Fields. I don't necessarily anticipate seeing a ton of step back. Sure, there probably will be some because Justin Fields, in my mind, was the best quarterback in Ohio State history. But like, who the, the, the collection of talent around him is just so much better that I think that that's an, way more than enough of a buffer to keep the uh the Wisconsin, the Meerkats, the Nits, the the Hoosiers, everybody else from actually kind of knocking off Ohio State in any substantial way. Could Ohio State lose a game? Sure, things happen in college football. We understand that. But for a team to have a consistent enough run to beat them for the conference title, I, I got to see it to believe it at this point, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go out here and just kind of lead Ohio State fans. I mean, I don't think I have to lead them anywhere in this thought train of thought uh, there Ohio State's not invincible we all know that at some point yeah, someone's course. going to have to be able to do it but Pat Fitzgerald I mean he's I don't know he continues to grow the program yeah I love Pat Fitzgerald he's probably my favorite coach outside of it I, I mean what Paul Chris is doing at Wisconsin is very impressive these guys are Always going to be there in the end. On the same side, it's not like the Big Ten West has been this parody-ridden conference like everyone assumed yeah. it was going to be. It's been Northwestern or Wisconsin the last half of the decade, and it doesn't hasn't changed. And I, I'm just I'm just so it's just such a fun conversation because Ohio State's the king of the Big Ten. This is very similar in other conferences, and I, I think I, I just don't see. I just don't see anything really changing this year. I know COVID was a weird year. It kind of opened up a lot of opportunities, but it didn't at the end of the day. It was the same teams. It was Ohio State, yeah. Clemson, Oklahoma, Notre Dame in the end. And I'm still getting just as excited about set, uh, the fall coming as anybody else. So I, I don't know. And I, I think we got to touch on our nearest rivals a little bit. I think Jim Harbaugh, I think James Franklin – I don't know if Ryan Day kind of broke him in his first year or not, because I think they were all excited when Urban Meyer left. Like, hey, we got a guy who hasn't really changed anything yet. And we have a guy 
who hasn't done anything in college football, really. This is our chance to take our stab at being the top team in the Big Ten East, and then that didn't happen. Immediately, Ryan Day shut that down. So what do you think our nearest rivals have to do, uh, Michigan and Penn State, to sort of close the gap, I guess? They've got to recruit better. I mean, that's really what it all comes down to. For all of the jokes that we make about some of the on-field decisions that um, uh, we see out of James Franklin at Penn State, he is a horrible late-game coach. Um, For a lot of the boneheaded decisions that Jim Harbaugh uh, makes in terms of his personnel – they're still really good football coaches and they're actually guys who, when they came into the big 10, I was like, Oh, that could be a problem for Ohio state. He gets a lot of names that, you know, are going to be great football coaches, but you just, they're not part of the college football landscape usually. So yeah. So they end up kind of having trouble with the recruiting aspect or little aspects here and there. Yeah. They're both good coaches. Like they're good, solid football coaches. Uh, They're not great, but they're good, solid football coaches. And But the problem is, is they just don't have the talent to compete with Ohio State. When Ohio State can go in and consistently get the best players out of Pennsylvania, which is not a, a, a hugely lush football recruiting ground. Like it has good guys occasionally, but it's not... It's it's not an Alabama, it's not in uh, a Louisiana, it's not a Georgia, it's not a Florida, um, but it's got some good players. But Ohio State routinely gets the best players in Penn, in Pennsylvania to commit to Ohio State. Michigan does not have nearly as many good players uh, as as the state of Pennsylvania does, but Ohio State still gets a number of the best players out of that state. Um, so they can't even really beat Ohio State in terms of recruiting their own backyard when they should have a built-in advantage because you assume players are uh, have grown up as fans of those teams. And really the difference is recruiting. Uh, until, if and until, Penn State and Michigan are able to recruit at at least a level that approaches Ohio State's, uh, they're never going to be able to beat Ohio State consistently. Can they beat them in a one-off year? Of course, anything can happen. But in a consistent manner, they just don't have the horses to to make it work in a way that Ohio State has in, I mean, honestly, in the past 20 years, but especially in the past four seasons where they've just kind of run roughshod over the rest of the conference. So when you start seeing Michigan and Penn State rise up that blue chip um, ranking, which is basically where it says you have more four or five star players than not. Um, and, and they both do. They're, they're both above the blue chip line of demarcation, but not in the same stratosphere as Ohio State, as Georgia, as Alabama. And, you know, even Clemson isn't, isn't as high as the rest of those teams, which really speaks to how much, as much as I hate to say it, um, Dabo really is uh, excellent at developing players. So, but until they start getting closer to the, le- to the level of Ohio State in, in terms of how they recruit, it's not going to happen, at least not consistently. Again, one year, who knows what happens. But from year to year, they they just don't have the guys to get it done on the field. Yeah, the inter- the interesting aspect is, is like if you look at Michigan and Penn State's recruiting over the last four or five years, a lot of people in a lot of programs would consider that like a great success. It doesn't help that Ohio State's an absolute insane juggernaut recruiting, especially on the offensive side of the ball right now. Like – Half the time walking out, and this is where I think a large discrepancy comes in, Michigan and Penn State are putting out more talented players. It's like you brought up the blue chip ratio. I'd say 90% of their schedule, their roster is going to be better than who they are playing. Absolutely. And that works for 9-3, and 10-2. But 
you have teams like Northwestern and Wisconsin who are great at identifying their players, their talent, and doing that and playing football with their philosophical way without any excuses. Like they're going to be gritty defensively. They're not going to bend. They're not going to break. They're going to get on the field. They're going to get off the field. You know exactly what you're playing against. When you play a Michigan or Penn State, it seems like they have to try to throw everything out the window when they play us. And I I just think it's a strategy that's set up for failure. They're kind of lacking identity both sides when they play Ohio State. They're kind of lacking in a lot of direction when it comes to how they're going to take us down. Northwestern Wisconsin, they have their plan. It just hasn't worked. Uh, It doesn't feel like there's a plan in place for Michigan or Penn State, and that's kind of where I see another part of this gap. So we've got the recruiting gap. We've got a general talent gap on game day. But if you ask those two coaches, they think they're right there. And I think that's where the problem kind of gets (laughs) deep-rooted. Yeah, and that's where you kind of see the gap on game day because they think they're right there. They're going to coach the game like they're right there. And then Ohio State... Goes on a run here. Ohio State comes out and just punches them in the face. And they're like, okay, maybe we're not here. Let's throw everything out the window. We got to try to win this game. And it just ends up making it way worse. But yeah, I think I think the betting odds, I think the conversation of parity, we're going to get into this a lot more. Our biggest threats, our biggest challenges. We're probably going to take some deep dives into some specific teams as we preview the season. But right now, I think like I, I just can't, off the top of my head, look at a roster in the Big Ten and think Ohio State isn't playing in Indianapolis in a pretty much scarlet and gray dominated crowd like always in our second home this year. Yep. Which I, I think is a testament to our athletic director who, as we've seen, uh, we're smooth transition here. It wasn't until you called it out. Like it's only a smooth tra- transition if like people don't realize you're making a transition. When you I, call attention to it, then it becomes less smooth. I had to give myself a little credit there. I didn't uh, know how was I was going to do it, and then was good, all though. of a sudden it came together, and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah. we got a athletic director who just got a very handsome raise." Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Just like that. Welcome back from the break, everybody. If I remember right, when Gene Smith was hired, it was not the most... I mean, I was nine. But... So <laughs> What year was it? Might, what, what year 2005 was it? Is what, 2005. That was a year after I graduated college. So, so good to know. Uh, <laughs> it, it's funny because I, I, I remember Gene Smith getting hired. I, I remember people not being the most happy about it. And I, I generally, looking back on it, I don't think he had the most uh, 
I can't think of the word here. You didn't have, I don't want to say best start because it's kind of hard. It's a, it's a job where you kind of just get thrown in here and they're like, make stuff better. And when you're at Ohio State, a lot of the stuff's pretty good already. So you kind of, it's, it's really a challenge to find what to make better. Yeah, since you were prepubescent, uh, I will just kind of give you a reminder as to who he was replacing. He was replacing the great Andy Geiger, who really turned Ohio State into the dominant programs in multiple sports that it is now. There had always been success at Ohio State, of course. But the things that Andy Geiger did best were hiring and building new facilities. Andy Geiger was the one who who built, for better or for worse, um, the Schottenstein Center. He's the one who did the major renovations uh, uh, of the shoe. He's the guy who hired Jim Tressel. He's the guy who hired Thad Mata. He's the guy that really put these bigger programs at Ohio State uh, on a trajectory to be successful. And Ohio State also, during Geiger's um, uh, tenure, also built the um, the Jesse Owens facility uh, over on West Campus. That whole area over there around the shot with Bill Davis Stadium, with the softball field, with Jesse Owens. Like that's that at one point, at least when I was a- around, they called that like. Geiger land uh, because he built that. So replacing Andy Geiger was a huge deal. And then Gene Smith comes in from, from Arizona state. He's a, he's a Notre Dame guy, which I don't think sat well with folks at first. Did not sit well from what I was reading last night. Yeah. But he came in and has basically continued the things that Andy Geiger has done. Well, hiring the, the right people, hiring the best people and continuing to build and improve the facilities. So it, in all aspects, I think as far as you can say, the hire of Gene Smith now, what did say it was 2005? Yes. Um, so we're at 16 years into his tenure. Like It has been a rousing success, and especially when you consider how involved he is in the um, administration side of the NCAA, all the committees that not only is he on, but he chairs. Um, he is a major part of college sports, and it, he has only helped – the the status of Ohio State as an institution, as well as the teams that he is in charge of on the field and court. Yeah, it's been absolutely crazy to me because I, I mean he's had unfortunately a couple scandals. He's had to uh, migrate through or sure, what the heck? yeah, and he uh, he had the tattoo gate or the tattoo scandal with Terrell Pryor. And those ex Ohio State players, which I mean, God, if you're an athletic director and you have to go through that. Uh, he had to make the unfortunate decision to fire Jim Tressel there, or I guess. Uh, so yeah, technically he resigned, yeah, but he, he resigned. Was but yeah, and he had to make the second hire. Obviously, hit a home run with Urban Meyer, uh, and Ohio State's football hasn't been the same since. And then you continue to in a look, good way, in a good yeah, way, <laughs> in a good way. Like a lot of people, it hasn't been the same since. Would take that the wrong direction. It's yeah. been. Even better than we could have imagined. The best parts about Gene Smith come probably in the fundraising aspects that we don't get to see every day. Uh, mm-hmm. Look at the Covelli Center. Look at all these new facilities, all the additions to the facilities that are already in place. The accomplishments from almost every single sports team on campus. I remember in my two and a half, three years on living on campus, there is something going on every single day. We have an elite wrestling program, uh, an elite, we have an elite diving team, I believe. We have 
a tennis team Everything. that's winning, competing for championships, we're always kind of there in the end in every single sport. And that's testament to the guy who's running it all because it comes down to it. Yes, we're going to see the hires for the money-making sports. Those are going to be the ones we judge them on. But all those other championships, and I don't want to call them supplemental championships, but the ones the school gets with the Olympic sports, the non-revenue-based sports, are huge for standing, prestige, and all that stuff. And Gene Smith's raised the level. Uh, The baseball team's improved. And I, I, I can't sit here in California and say people know about Ohio State baseball, but it was starting to garner some buzz on campus when yeah, i first got to deal. school yeah ohio state's men's soccer team was oh and the century they hadn't won had a winning season in years the last couple of years they've improved and when you look at his contract structure there's a lot of incentives on top of that and a lot of it has to do with conference championships getting there and it's 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 for sure going to take a lot, yeah. Pulling up this article I was reading from Eleven Warriors, I'm going to cite it here real quick. Uh, who wrote this? Uh, Dan Hope, always good beat guy. You guys probably all know him. Uh, he gets academic bonuses. He gets finished bonuses. Women's basketball championship, twenty thousand dollars. Big Ten championship, fifteen thousand for an NIT berth. This is just an example. A lot of the sports have similar incentives so i think it's interesting too how the big 10 football championships twenty thousand dollars and a lot of these other championships the major ones are twenty thousand dollars so he can't be over focused on football even though we all know he is and i just think the incentivization all this stuff it's for sure a well-structured contract for the job and i'm not mad about him getting a pay bump at all no not at all he's at like what 1.85 million base or something like that it, yes. it, it look that's an absurd amount of money for anybody in any field i get that but like when you're talking about somebody who operates one of the largest athletic departments in the country in terms of like how many sports and how many athletes that they sponsor, especially like when the thought was that Stanford was going to cut a bunch of sports. Ohio state was like head and shoulders, uh, the largest in terms of varsity sports that they sponsor. I think now that Stanford is reversed course, which actually was the topic, uh, one of the topics on the podcast, the play like a girl podcast in this feed the day before. Um, I think Ohio state and Stanford now have the same amount, but like, if someone's going to run the largest athletic department in the country and be one of the handful of few athletic departments in the country that actually is profitable, then yeah, give him $1.85 million plus incentives. Like I am totally fine with that. He's earned it. He's worth it. And I'm, you know, I'm not naive enough to, to think that this didn't, you know, get influenced by the fact that he was at least through the media being courted as the potential PAC 12 champ or a big, uh, big 12. Maybe again, it was being courted as the potential Pac-12 commissioner. I don't know if that was ever real, but having you know roots to Arizona State, I could see why that made sense. So whether that was real or just his agents putting that out there, um, it seems to have worked for him. But I ain't mad about it. Like the, this is totally fine with me. He's in his early to mid sixties, so I think by the time this contract is up in twenty twenty six, like he'll he'll either just be turning seventy or something. Like this day and age like that's nothing and he seems to be really energetic and still the top of his game so there is nothing about this that upsets me or concerns me yeah and i think you bring up an interesting point with the pac-12 uh commissioner role because i think when you look at that i mean the best negotiating tactic is having a pretty 
Will Payton job on the other side. See it all the time with coaches, you know, exploring other options or whatever. Yeah. That's, I think that's also going to be a part of the reason we're always going to see Ryan Day's name attached to the NFL, why we're always going to see Chris Holtman's name attached to a job search, because it, it's it's leverage. And at the end of the day, Gene Smith probably used that as a nice little bit of leverage, got a little bit more of a pay bump than he probably would have. And at the end of the day, the reason I appreciate Gene Smith, before we get on to the next topic, is the way he's handled scandal, you know, you can't really train someone to do that you can't really teach someone PR as much as you want to he's had a rough go of it as Ohio State's athletic director uh there have been some major stories not even just on the football field we've had the Richard Strauss story we've had Mm -hmm. the women's basketball team stories I mean this has been a tumultuous job on top of all the glory and all that And whether it's good or bad, it never seems to phase Gene Smith. And I feel like there's a steady hand guiding the large vessel that is Ohio State athletics. And that's that's why he deserves to get paid $1.8 million in my eyes. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, so moving on. We we slowly mentioned, we kind of pointed this. The Pac-12 commissioner hire... Uh, this past week kind of made me want to take a trip down memory lane. Uh, You know, college commissioners, conference commissioners, they have a very interesting job. A lot of the time, I don't know exactly what they do and when they do stuff. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, they're doing the same thing, but for all 14 schools in the Big Ten. So that's what Kevin Warren's job is. He's his, be- his job is to take care of the Big Ten. A lot of fans felt like in his first year, he did not have the Big Ten's best interest in heart. It's a pandemic. I- I'm going to give this guy a little bit of a pass here, a second chance for redemption moving forward. It's not an easy job by any means. And he's not taking over for someone who was just some slouch. Jim Delaney was a very interesting figure, but when you look at what he was able to accomplish. He was the first major commissioner to have a network partnership for the conference. He grew the Big Ten brand over 30 years. He, through expansion, added Blue Bloods in Penn State, Nebraska. Uh, got us to the Rutgers. East Coast, the truest Don't. of the Blue Bloods. Can't forget them, <laughs> Rutgers. Uh, Maryland, he got into two huge TV markets. A lot of people are like, why are Maryland and Rutgers? In the Big Ten. It's because of Benjamins. money. It's all about, all about the Benjamins. It, it's, yeah. a, it's the Benjamins. And I think the Pac-12's new hire, George Klyovkov, is also an outsider. Kevin Warren was from the NFL. So he's going to have this career-long someone he could kind of be seen against, which I think sucks for him. Because if George Klyovkov can make up for Larry Scott's mistakes, and by God, there are a lot of them. Uh, he is going to be seen as one of the better commissioners in sports history. Uh, where Jim Delaney was great before Warren, TV deals, all that stuff, where Larry Scott was not good, uh, TV deals, and expansion. So I guess what I'm leading into is we could just kind of jump into the Pac-12's new hire and kind of compare it to Warren's. Uh, have you seen the Pac-12's new hire, George Klyovkov? How much do you know about him, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I I only know what was out around the time that he was announced. But, you know, I think comparing him in terms to Kevin Warren in terms of like when they were hired makes a ton of sense, like a year, year and a half uh, apart. 
but their backgrounds are super different. Obviously, Way Kevin different. Warren does not come from a collegiate sports background. You mentioned Jim Delaney. He had previously been the Ohio Valley Conference Commissioner. So like he had been a conference commissioner before he was hired by the Big Ten. So he came into that job knowing what it was. Kevin Warren obviously did not, but he still came from sports administration. It just happened to be on the NFL level. George Kliakoff comes from like the entertainment side of of sports and and in in a lot of cases not sports. He's worked at a number of of television networks. He's worked for um uh, MLB TV which is, you know, in a lot of ways if you talk to people in in the media and in the uh, in the technology space like one of the greatest things that has ever happened to streaming is MLB TV and how remarkably adept at it has been over the years at leveraging technology he worked for like um nbc and hulu he's coming from the world of was it mgm i can't remember which casino i I, Uh, I can't remember either yeah so i mean like but he's got all of these interesting backgrounds that make sense for something you would want somebody to have in terms of running a conference but he's never run a conference he's never run athletic administration so while warren and kliakov both are going to have some on-the-job learning to do, and hopefully Warren's done a lot of that already. Um, I at least give Warren the benefit of the doubt in terms of, like, and I think he was a college athlete. His son is a college athlete. So I think he has a little bit more of an insight into how this stuff works. But, you know, and I think I've mentioned this before. I don't know if it was with you or somebody else. Um, My first job out of college was working for the Big Ten. I worked for Jim Delaney, and granted, he wasn't in the office a lot because he was often – you know, at meetings and meeting all these people, but like he was revered in that office. Like commissioner Delaney was, was an icon. Like he is one of the greatest commissioners in the history of college sports when he was, uh, active and he's still active. He runs a consulting firm now for, for college sports, but like he was one of the most important people in college athletics. And, and that's, you know, kind of similar to what we were talking about with Gene Smith, replacing Andy Geiger. You've got to be really on your game to step into those type of shoes. And unfortunately, Kevin Warren was handed a, f- a playing field that I don't think anybody could have handled perfectly, um, especially as a first-time commissioner. And again, Jim Delaney was not a first-time commissioner when he came to to, to the Big Ten. So I, I'm with you in terms of Kevin Warren kind of getting a little bit of a pass because not only was COVID just something you just can't prepare for, and it's something that you really – I, I don't fault him for being, you know, erring on the side of caution. Um, and but there's also they have to consider that like half I think of the of the Big Ten college presidents were new within the past year and a half when they were deciding all this COVID stuff. So like he was dealing with people who didn't know each other, who didn't know the landscape as well, um, and who might not have really kind of understand the bigger picture of the Big Ten. So I kind of give Warren the benefit of the doubt there. Kliakoff is coming in to replace Larry Scott, who, I mean, doesn't have the exact same resume, but has an outsider resume as well. And it, that just didn't work. So I'm kind of surprised they went that way. A lot of times when you, whether it's a coach or a commissioner or an AD, you often see institutions going in the opposite direction of what had failed before them. Or like, you know, if you'd had a, a head football coach who had been an offensive coordinator before, you go the other route and get a defensive coordinator to come yeah. in. I'm kind of surprised they went with an outsider again. Yeah, that big uh, that overcorrection they usually tend to do. Yeah, but like this time, I, I don't know. We'll see. I guess. Well, like I feel like you know we kind of went with the safe choice in Kevin Warren. He's kind of got all the resume you'd want from a 
person who you're going to put in charge of running a big business, and that's what the conference is. Uh, the Pac-12 went with Larry Scott because he ran the ATP, the pro tennis circuit, mm-hmm. and they thought, wow, he could do really well for the non-revenue sports. And in that, they kind Which is of... Pa- the Pac-12 is huge. Like, they dominate a lot of these lot uh, of the Olympic sports. sports. Yeah. So what they brought Larry Scott in to do, he's done great. But as the college football playoff started taking over, he never really gave the revenue sports the attention that they needed. And, you know, being on the West Coast, uh, knowing kind of the landscape over here, I, football can be secondary a lot of the time. There is so much to do in Los Angeles where you've got your premier program, USC. You've got two NFL teams now. You've got two NBA teams, two baseball teams. You've got two of everything. Uh, You've got two pretty good colleges to go to in USC, UCLA. So you've got different challenges than the Big Ten who's always going to be like, hey, we love football, we love basketball, and all the other sports are cool too. Uh, That is not the same challenge as Kevin Warren has to do. And I think that's where I kind of see this Pac-12 commissioner hire is kind of a good one. Because Larry Scott failed on the entertainment side. Larry Scott failed mightily on the network deal when everyone else was partnering with ESPN, partnering with Fox Sports, partnering with networks. And they missed it. They they missed really bad with the Pac-12 network. I, I... I am a guy who will watch football from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. on the West Coast, 12 a.m. to 12 p.m., even the Pac-12 after dark game on Saturdays. And there are times where I'm like, God, I can't even find this football game. And they <laughs> It's not say, good if you live in L.A. Yeah, and if you can't watch a USC game at 7.30 at night, what is the point of having a network like that? Just... They could could have done it the old way and probably still had all their games televised, but they decided this is the way to do it. And that's kind of where Larry Scott failed. And I see where I'm kind of looking at this guy's resume. You brought it up, Hulu, MLB TV. I use MLB TV almost every day. It's one of the best apps I have. And I just, I think this is a pretty good hire by them because I think they're going to catch up immediately on the entertainment side. I don't know how fast they get all this stuff running. But I think once he gets his freedom and they're going to be pro playoff expansion, without a doubt. I think there's zero questions about it. Yeah, they have to be. Yeah, because they are the they're they've been the odd man out year in, year out. Uh, But yeah, I think the funny part is I I looked up George Kliakoff and I had to look up. So Greg Sankey's the name. Everyone sort of knows the SEC commissioner. Before the show, I wasn't sure who the Big 12 commissioner was. Uh, I, I thought the Big 12 commissioner was, uh, I couldn't think of his name, and I found out it was Bob Bowlesby. Mm-hmm. That means he's doing a good job if you haven't really heard his name. That's kind of how I like yeah, to he's, he's often commissioners. On, yeah, I think he's, you know, he, you often hear him around the college football playoff stuff. But, like, again, you don't need to know who these guys are if you yeah. aren't a fan of those programs. And then James J. Phillips, the ACC commissioner. So, like, I no was idea. like, oh, my God, these guys are kind of mysterious people. They kind of... Those two, they 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 played the COVID thing right last year as best as you could, I guess. I don't know what to say like it was a game or anything, but they they took the approach where like, oh, we see what the Big Ten's doing, we'll see how everyone reacts to it, and we see what the SEC's doing, we're gonna see how everybody else reacts to it, and then we're just gonna kind of meet a little bit more in the middle. And I guess uh, I mean I, I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh. The commissioner is important. It, it's an important job. It's the athletic director for the whole conference. They have so many responsibilities. And Kevin Warren did not 
really gain the benefit of the doubt with last year. What will we need to see from Kevin Warren? What is like what can we see from the Big Ten moving forward that really kind of establishes Kevin Warren in a more positive light? I think stay out of the way. I mean, I think that's kind of what you were just mentioning in terms of of these other commissioners. You didn't know who they were. That's what you need to do. Stay out of the way. Let everybody else do their jobs. You be the guy in the background and and let the ADs, let the presidents make the decisions. Um, don't try to be Jim Delaney. Jim Delaney was the face of the conference. You aren't Jim Delaney. And I don't know that Jim Delaney is is necessarily the best model anymore because of how college sports have ad- advanced and changed since he took over at the Big Ten. Like, I, I think he was... I don't remember the year he was hired, but like college sports were in a much different place when he became the commissioner of the Big Ten. So, you know, I, I think just be the guy who's keeping things running smoothly. You don't have to be the guy at, at, in the front leading the charges. You don't have to be the guy um, making all the waves with the NCAA. Stand up for your team. Stand up for your conference. But just stand back and be the guy behind the scenes. You don't have to be the great and powerful Oz. Be the guy behind the curtain pulling the levers. That's a good reference there. I liked it. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, he he just needs to stay out of the way, make sure the TV deals are in place, and at the end of the day, uh, it's unfortunate. He's probably going to be getting the Roger Goodell treatment until he makes some waves getting on the NIL bandwagon and kind of being a pioneer. That's the only way I could see him immediately courting favor but uh he is a guy who i i don't think could have had a worse uh start to a job and i'm not talking like him actually doing it like yeah oh yeah coming into a job pandemic i think you brought it up new uh presidents of universities they have to cover themselves in a pandemic like there was no way there was going to be the camaraderie and the the same thought process coming in with all those people, the new landscape, all that stuff. There's so many moving parts with new presidents. They all have to make kind of, there's no pecking order. You know, it, it's just, I wouldn't wish that job on anybody last year. And no. that's kind of why there should be second chances. And I think the other funny part, I got, it's hard to use that word, but I guess we've been through it for a year is, can you imagine being the guy who starts a job in the middle of a pandemic and then you're going to have a person in a very similar role come off one of the worst people at their jobs ever. You know, Kevin Warren's coming off one of the greatest guys to ever be a commissioner in any sport yeah. league. And Kliakoff gets Larry Scott to follow up after a pandemic. The guy literally just has to show up and put his pants on the right way, and he's better than Larry Scott. Yeah. Fair. That is that is such an interesting like parallel, or I guess uh, perpendicular. I don't know. Well, their cross might path, their paths might cross. God, I'm all over the place. <laughs> We're gonna cut that one out. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of where I wanted to go with that conversation. I think the new commissioner hires are always so interesting because this is this should be a ten to twenty year job here. And ideally, yeah. And if you get off to a rough start, it is going to be a long 10 to 20 years. Because obviously the presidents 
do not want to have a lot of overturn in their conference leadership. And that's kind of a reason there's a lot of long-term people in these roles. Uh, So yeah, moving on to the final conversation topic. I really don't know how this one even exists. I, I, when I was drafting up the show plan this week, I was having trouble finding news. And <laughs> this is I an saw, easy one. This is not going to be a long discussion, I don't think, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I, it's hysterical, number one. Like, the fact that this is even a conversation is the funny part. So, our best for last today. Matt, if I had to have you write down a list of five players who could go number one overall for Ohio State next year, uh, does this guy make the cut that we're going to be talking about? So wait, are you talking about like to be the first guy from Ohio State off the board or to be first the first pick in the NFL yeah. draft? No, not a chance. I have him in the first round in my way too early mock draft for somebody who knows absolutely nothing about the NFL. But he's there's I mean, that's a stretch to have him in the first round. I did that based off of resume and a lot of other mock drafts. Do you want me to say his name or are you, are you going to do a big reveal? But like... Uh. We'll do the big reveal. The guy uh, we're we're inferring to right now is Seven Banks, yeah, the cornerback. No. We all know him. We all have feelings about him. I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't, don't know. That's, like positive that's the or thing. negative. I don't really have feelings about him, like, like because like he was fine last year. He but wasn't he's the worst he, guy. He wasn't the yeah. best guy. I, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be careful with my words. I don't want to get blocked by another Ohio State defensive back. <laughs> but first overall, Seven Banks. Where did this come from? Did you see somebody else actually say that? Or like, are so, you just like making stuff up to cause problems? The first person I saw tweet about it was Colin Hossill, who I, I, I trust a lot with his yeah. sourcing. So Over at 11 uh, Warriors. Then I uh, Googled it, and there were legitimately people talking about this. Uh, there was a website that has them has all the betting odds listed, and he was at 25 to 1 odds to go first overall. Not and, horrible. For a guy who is more of a borderline first-round pick, uh, I, I still don't think I'm going to take the flyer there. Uh, no, he's a, he's a cornerback, not a quarterback. quarterback. I, so just the fact that they're projecting potentially a cornerback to go first overall makes no sense. Like, that's just why... I mean, I guess you throw those in there just because you want some variety in your odds. But that's not going to happen. I mean, it's it's just not going to happen. If you want to tell me he's the first corner off the board or the first Ohio State player off the board, I'll entertain that, even though I don't necessarily yeah, agree with it. That's a conversation that we could have. Yeah, but, like, he's he's not going to be the first overall pick. It's silly, and I've got, like, three or four names of Buckeyes who have a better chance of being first off the board, and yet none of them will be first off the board, no matter if they have the best season yeah. in Ohio we State know. history. We know two simple things about the NFL on this podcast. It's run by quarterbacks, and Ohio State defense alignment get taken pretty high in the draft. Yep. Uh, that is the case, and Ohio State usually has first-round DBs, but I, I don't even know off a quick Google search uh, who the last— I don't think a cornerback's ever been taken first overall. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, you know. There's been a lot of drafts, so maybe there was one at some point, but— it's not going to be seven banks. And that's not a disrespect to seven banks. I'm hoping I've got him in the first round. I think he's going to have a great season this year. Yeah, I think I mean, that Kerry Combs is going to simplify the defense, make it work a little bit more for the personnel that he has, which he wasn't able to do last year. He's not going to be the first overall pick. Yeah. I don't think it's a long conversation on that side. 
Uh, I think I, I want seven banks to get drafted as high as he can. It makes me super happy when a lot of my favorite college football players get drafted very high. But if seven banks is the number one overall pick next year, I think NFL evaluators need to stop listening to random guys posting betting odds on the internet. <laughs> if he is the number one pick overall uh, uh, by this time next year, I will um, I, I will come on this podcast and I will retire from life i mean everything i'll just go into hiding i'll become a monk uh because there will be no more point of doing anything because that will be the most absurd thing i've ever seen in my life and again no shade to seven um but that's just not gonna happen yeah i feel like we were talking about the betting odds for the conference uh, conference championships like this is way more of a lock than even clemson winning the acc yeah yeah i think we're on that side this would be like throwing your money at illinois to win the big 10 it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And that, I think that's a good way to wrap up the show today. Matt, any final words you want to say to the audience before we get out of here today? No, man. Just go Bucks. Uh, this is a time of year when we don't have a ton of news, but th- there's always great content, whether it's at Land Grant Holy Land or across the rest of the Buckeye blogosphere. Um, good times to really get to know the programs and the players that you're going to be watching for the next uh, next calendar year and whatever sport it is. Yeah, so – what Matt's trying to say is we are going to be making up a lot of fun stuff for you guys and we're going to hope that it sticks or it doesn't. And you guys just kind of <laughs> laugh at the articles as well. We've had a lot of fun. This is going to be the time where we turn to Stephen A, uh, Max Kellerman, first take. We're going to debate stuff. We're going to have a lot of fun. Make sure you're checking out the your nuts because those things, I've been enjoying reading those every morning when I oh, see them. And God, wait till you I, see the one that's coming out on Thursday. This one's a doozy. I'm excited. I'm excited. Um, I, I'm on Team Leonardo da Vinci with the historical figure. <laughs> I, I'm taking right. the inventor, the artist, the he's kind of got it all. Um, sure. I, I know you already teased it. I'm not going to tease it on the show. Uh, the one Thursday is going to be pretty good. I think you guys are going to It's ridiculous. Love it. It's ridiculous. It, it's ridiculous. And, yeah, that's the off season for you guys. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of fun with you guys here on this show. We're going to be previewing a lot. We're going to be... Doing a lot of different things, so make sure you're following along on Twitter for all the show updates. Land Grant 33 for the whole website, Buck Off Pod for all things this show and Ohio State and random stuff I do all the time because I don't really use my personal Twitter anymore for all that much. So you're kind of getting my nonsense spewed on all college sports on Buck Off. And make sure you're following our personals, though. Chris Rennie, CFB, and BWW Matt. Yep. And then we are good to go. Thank you all for coming today and joining Matt and I on another episode of Buck Off. But before you go, make sure you're following Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33 and you're subscribed to the podcast feed. We've got a lot of good shows, a lot of content coming from you from different directions, including Hang Out in the Holy Land, Play Like a Girl, and Stick to Sports with a lot of talented individuals. Also, check out the website for fun articles every day, as well as 360-degree coverage of Ohio State Athletics. Once again, thanks for joining us today, and I'll see you guys next week.